Thanks for checking out the Ascent Church podcast. Our mission is to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. We hope that this message encourages you. Now, here's Pastor Thomas Lane. That's the chatterbox. That's a little picture of what it is. The chatterbox are those voices right on the static, the murmur, that self-talk that we have. Like she was just going for a run, minding her own business. Not sure why you would do cardio intentionally. All right. But she was going for it. And you just have these thoughts where I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm a bad mom. Our finances are always going to be in the toilet. Our marriage is garbage and it always has been. and It's always going to be. Our kids are never going to listen to me. Things like that. That is the chatterbox. It's actually based on a book called Crash the Chatterbox by Stephen Furtick. That's where we got the, the title from. And we've been giving away one of these books a week because it's added a lot of value to many on our team. And we want to add value to someone here. Um, the winner this week was Megan Wilson. Is Megan in the house? Did she skip today? Are you here? Yes. You're all the way in the back. You want to come for? Are you running something right now? She's running lights. I like that. So um, I'm going to be real nice. Please don't black me out or anything. I'm going to put it over here. And uh, when you're ready, you just grab it whenever, okay? Sound good? Give it up for her, y'all. Running lights. Is it your first day? First day. Can you give it up for her? Running lights, first day. I like that. I like that a lot. That's awesome. Each week, we're, we're giving away a book. Check out our social media to figure out how you can win it. It's just essentially sharing something or commenting and tagging a friend. But um, let's jump in. Before we begin, I want to ask you, what is your greatest source of discouragement? I want you to process it a little bit. I'm going to ask you, and I, I want you to shout it out if you're so bold. What is your greatest source of discouragement? I'm going to count to three, and if you're bold, shout it out. One, two, three. <laughs> Something funny was said. I didn't quite catch it. I don't know if I want to know. It looks a little inappropriate based on who's, who's doing the chat. I'm just going to look past it. I'm going to talk about last hour. Last hour, they said myself. They said the past. They said mistakes, social media, I heard. A lot of these things. You know what's a source of discouragement for me? This is super awkward. You want to know what it is? This zit on my forehead right here. You see it? I had a wedding last night, and I was leaving the house, and I'm in my suit ready to go. And my, my wife is, she's holding an infant, okay, the toddler's running around, she's cooking something, and I'm leaving, and she's like, bye, honey. She said, do, do, do you want me to put something on that? And I, I was like, no, no one will notice. And as the day went on, I'm thinking, everyone's going to notice, all right, Every, everybody. So this poor couple, uh, th- this is enshrined in their wedding photos for all time. Grandkids, great-grandkids, they're going to be looking and be like, what's that on his face? It is not a mosquito bite. Um, that's a source of discouragement for me, but you just got to own it. You just got to own it. Do we have any sports fans in the house? Have you ever been discouraged by sports? Every year. Someone is a UVA football fan. Okay. Every year he, he said, so did anyone fill out a bracket? NCAA tournament bracket. Anybody, any, you know, it was funny. Don't lie to me, but you fill it out. And every year you think there's a little chance I'm going to win. Like a little bit of your soul was like, I could win this thing. Like this might actually happen. If you don't know about the tournament, there's 64 teams and there's four regions. All right. Men's basketball, they play and a one seed plays a 16, a two plays a 15, a three plays a 14 all the way down. 
And in the history of the tournament, until this year, one, a one seed has always beaten a 16 seed. Every single time. I think it was like 137 times in a row. Something crazy. So if you were filling out a bracket, you'd be a dummy to, to have a 16 seed beating a one seed. Because it's a one seed. And this year, actually a one seed lost. And not only a one seed, it was the number one seed in the, whole tur- in the whole tournament. All the professionals, all the coaches, all the experts said, this team is the best that, that, that college basketball has to offer. They are the best. They're number one. They, I mean, a lot of people had them winning it all. And uh, I think we have a picture. Do we have a picture of the final score? There we go. So if you're a UVA fan, I'm sorry. As a, as a tech alum, I might get this tattooed somewhere right here on my arm. I don't know. But what's crazy, it wasn't close. Because you may think, okay, they lost, but... Maybe it was like a last minute crazy shot. No, it was 20 points. It was a beat down. They took him behind the tool shed. Spanked him. Okay. It was a good old fashioned whooping. And what makes it worse is the expectation. If you're going into a game thinking we we should probably lose this, you know, you fight, it's all good. But if you think, if you go in thinking, I got this son, this is cake, this is easy. And then you get whipped. It's a little bit of a different story. Expectations change everything. They really, really change everything. If I, if, if I were to give you some time to process it, and if we could be honest, if I were to say, what's a great source of discouragement? A lot of you would say, maybe suffering, but I think what gets us more isn't really suffering. It's suffering and not knowing why, or struggling and not knowing why, or going through some type of trial or temptation or, or discomfort and not knowing why. But the reality is this. A lot of the times we don't get to know why. God never promises he'll tell us why. He never says, I'm going to make this clear to you. There's some great people in scripture who had a huge why, and God never revealed it to them. You see, most of us are fine as long as we see progress. We want to see steps in the right direction. You're paying down your student loans. You want to, you want to track it. You're like, I'm getting better. I'm getting there. You know, you're downloading an app. Some of you nerds on computers, you know what I'm saying? No offense, nerds in the back. We love you. You know, download an app. Restart in your computer, you get the little bar, y'all know the bar filling up, and you watch the bar. And have you ever been moving and the bar is moving and it just stops? It drives you nuts. Because it did say three minutes and one second, and now you're like, is it three hours? Is it three days? You don't know. We love progress. We love the microwave. We see 30 seconds left, 20 seconds left, 10 seconds left. We love our GPS. When am I gonna arrive? 10.03. And then you try to beat it. You're driving fast. You're like, 10.02, sucker, come at me, right? 10.01, 10, I'm going to break 10, I'm going to break 10. 9.59, come on. Like you, you celebrate that stuff. We're crazy. We love it. We love it. We love progress. Y'all are some crazy drivers. By your response, I feel like you're a little crazy. If you have an Ascent Church magnet on your car, I'm not going to say anything. I've noticed something. Does anyone go to the gym? Respect. So I accidentally started something with the band and production team. When I go to the gym, I take something called pre-workout. Y'all know pre-workout? Oh yeah, it's a concoction of energy and science, which makes your workout better. And you're supposed to mix it and drink it and go work out. But sometimes I'm a little lazy and I'll just take the powder straight and I'll put it in my mouth and I'll grab coffee or whatever and just shake it up and just drink it. And I did that and I posted on Instagram and I challenged the band. I called you out. And production team, and they started doing it back. We've kind of started this thing. I've noticed something else about the gym is that it's crowded in January. 
But by February, it kind of clears out. And I think I know why. I think we want to see progress. And I think as human beings, when the progress isn't exactly where we thought it would be, it forces us to quit, to throw in the towel, to give up. Some of y'all, I think, honestly, you're like, I've been to the gym three times, right? I struggled through cardio. I went to Chick-fil-A and I switched my waffle fries for the, the, super, the, 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 the kale superfood side, right? I should have abs. And you look and you're like, I'll just take a one. I got nothing, nothing's happening. And then you get on a scale and you're like, I gained a pound. Nothing can take the wind out of our sails faster than a lack of perceived progress. And we're not alone. There's a guy in scripture named John the Baptist. Somebody say John the Baptist. This isn't like John, like the Southern Baptist. Okay, like not like that, but he was a guy who baptized a lot of people. John the Baptist, Jesus Christ said of him, he said, this is the the greatest guy to ever walk the earth. That's pretty high praise. That's a compliment. Jesus didn't say, I trust him. Jesus didn't say he's pretty good. He said, of all the people born on earth, John's the greatest. That's a big deal. John the Baptist was kind of the forerunner to Jesus. He kind of, he said, Jesus is coming. He said, let's prepare the way. Let's turn back to God. He did some amazing things, but John the Baptist got tripped up. The greatest person on the planet got tripped up and it came down to his progress bar, not moving where he thought it should be. What eventually got John the Baptist was a thing called unmet expectations unmet expectations. And that's what we're talking about today. Let me give you a little background. Here's what was happening. John the Baptist was in jail. Lock up. John's right here. He's locked up. Jesus is over here doing ministry, walking around, healing people, helping people, feeding people, doing all kinds of good things. And Jesus came upon this family and he did the greatest miracle he had done to date. He raised a widow's son from the dead. But you may be thinking, that's pretty cool. But let me tell you why it's so cool. Because this woman was a widow. So she had already suffered one of the greatest losses you can suffer, the loss of a spouse. And now this isn't just an emotional thing. This is a mental thing. This is a spiritual thing. You've got to question God. This is a socioeconomic thing. It impacts her future. Because if a woman in those days lost her husband, she couldn't just say, well, I'll go back to school, finish my degree. Well, I'll change career paths. No big deal. There was no government program to help her. She really had two choices. She could, uh, ready? She could beg, beg on the street, or she could become a prostitute. Not great options. But there's a ray of hope. She has a son. That's awesome. The son can work. They can figure it out together. And I think as a team, they could get through it. He can pick up a shift. She can do what she can. We can cut our costs. And you know what? As a result, we can make it. Well, then her son dies. Don't tell me she didn't question the goodness of God. Don't tell me she didn't say, is God really real? Is he really there for me? Does he really love me? Does he really care about me? Because I think a lot of us have asked those questions and we've had less of a thing happen to us. Well, here comes Jesus. This widow is having the funeral for her son and Jesus runs into it. And what does he do? He, he, he kind of touches the coffin and he raises the son from the dead. It's a huge deal. It's a celebration. This isn't just a good thing. This isn't just a reuniting of a family. This is a socioeconomic thing. It's, it's, it's financial healing. It's mental healing, psychological healing. It's so much good in this one little interaction. So the point is this. Jesus is doing amazing things in the world. And this is what happens. Follow along with me. Verse 16. If you have version, the Bible app, you can check out Ascent Church on that, which is pretty cool. Or you can just look up right behind me. If you have version, the free app, um, all the notes will be loaded in there for you, which is a pretty cool thing. 16. 
They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. So they're acknowledging it. God's moving. He's working in our midst. Based on something as big as that, it had to be God. It had to be God. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. That's good news, right? That's a good season, but there's a challenge with good seasons. The challenge with good seasons is the expectation that every season is going to be a good season. The challenge with good seasons is expecting there may not be bad seasons. The challenge with good seasons is the expectation that if a bad season does come along, either God is disappointed in you or God has left you. It's your fault. You screwed up. You messed up. You dropped the ball. And the chatterbox loves to capitalize on this. Let me tell you a little more about John the Baptist. He was the forerunner. He was the legend. He paved the way for Jesus. He said that essentially um, Jesus was the Lamb of God who was going to take away the sins of the whole world. That's a big deal. He said, turn back to God. This, this, this figure's coming. It's going to be a big deal. John the Baptist was huge. Have you ever been to a concert? One person? Good Lord. Yes. Have you ever been to like a, a show or a comedian or something? We, I went to see Jim Gaffigan with my wife a while back. Have you seen Jim Gaffigan? If you're a parent, you would like Jim Gaffigan. He's, he's funny. He's a funny dude. He's all up on Netflix. But he didn't just come on and do his act. There was, there was an opener. There was a guy who kind of warmed up the crowd. That's John the Baptist. Jim, Jim Gaffigan, Jesus. This is a weird analogy. Opener, John the Baptist. I was trying to get home Friday night, and there was a concert at the amphitheater, and the roads were crowded, and there was traffic, and people in the street selling shirts, hyping the event. That's John the Baptist. Get people excited. And I know at the concert, there was an opening act. That's John the Baptist, warming everyone up, getting their hearts ready for the big show which was coming, which is Christ. Let's go to Luke seven eighteen. John's disciples told him about all these things. He's in jail. Jesus is here. John's there. John's disciple told him about all these great things Jesus was doing. They keep getting better and better. Calling two of them, he sent them to Jesus to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? What? You've spent your whole life. He's related to Jesus, by the way. He spent his whole life talking about this guy, pointing to this guy, preaching about this guy, watching him do miracles. He baptized him and saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. He had seen him do all this stuff. And at the height of his power, at the height of his miracles, John says, are you, are you really the right guy? Are you the right one? Or should we start looking for someone else? What exactly is going on? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Luke, who wrote this gospel, includes it twice. I think because it's so unfathomable. It's so unbelievable. Because all the people seeing the miracles are like, God's visiting us, God's here. And John the Baptist, if anyone who should believe, the greatest man on earth should believe, right? He's saying, are you the right one? Am I looking at the right place? Did I miss something? I think I know why he's asking these questions. Let's go back in time a little bit. This is Luke 3, 19. This is what happened to get John in prison. It says, but when John rebuked Herod, the king, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, his brother's wife. Could you imagine how Thanksgiving dinner would be? That's a weird time. That's a weird time. And all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. 
John the Baptist was fearless. He goes to a king who's sleeping around, who's acting a fool. If you remember from, if you've ever heard the Christmas story when Jesus was born, King Herod heard about it. These guys heard about it. And what they did was he slaughtered all the little boys around Jesus' age in that town. John the Baptist goes to a genocidal maniac, a king with unlimited power, a king in cahoots with the Romans, a king who knows Caesar. He looks him in the eye and says, you got to knock it off, G. You got to pump the brakes. This ain't going to cut it. And Herod had so much respect for him, he could have just killed him there, but he just threw him in jail. He just threw him in jail. That's an amazing point. But I think I know what John the Baptist was thinking. I think he was thinking, you know, I'm in prison. I didn't expect that. I've lost my freedom. I didn't expect that. Jesus has the power to save me, the ability to save me, and the opportunity to save me, and he isn't, and I didn't expect that. And I think a lot of us have had the same thought. Jesus has the ability to save my marriage. Why isn't he doing so? Jesus has the ability to save my finances. He's not doing so. Jesus has the ability to reconcile me and my children, and he isn't doing so. Jesus has the ability to get me past that addiction, and he isn't doing so. Jesus has the opportunity to give me my joy and my hope back, but he isn't doing so, and I expected him to do so. He has the power, the ability. Why are things not different? Why are things not different? Has God ever done something or not done something that you expected him to do? Anybody? Okay. Me too. Isn't it frustrating? It drives you crazy. You see, you expected to be able to have kids. You expected that person would never leave you. You expected that you would get that raise, that you get that promotion. You expected God would station you over here and he'd put you over there. We expect these things. You expected to always be able to eat whatever you want. Because you've been scarfing chicken nuggets and corn dog nuggets and mac and cheese since you were 17. And you've been doing it for 10 years. And now you got a little padding here. And you're like, what is that? I expected my genes were different. No, your genes are a little different. It's an expectation that isn't being met. I wanted to tell you this, that saying should locks you in a prison. Shoulds lock us into prisons. That's where John the Baptist was. He's locked up. He's trapped. And I think saying should, I think having these expectations are the one thing that held him there. You see, shoulds keep us trapped. Saying should keeps us from experiencing freedom. Saying should keeps us from moving on. No good comes after saying should. If you're out there saying, well, I should be married by then. She should date me. Um, I should get that job. If you're saying should, here's what happens. Let's say you're right. Let's say you're right. You get a little smug. Called it. Knew that little pride starts to bellow up. Let's say you don't get it. You're implacably bitter towards God, toward others, towards your faith, towards your spouse. You're you're almost, you feel like something was taken away from you. Something that was never promised you, something you promised yourself through an expectation, through a should. I wanted to tell you, no good comes from should. Some of y'all might say should ain't good. Can y'all say should ain't good? You got to say it slow. You might accidentally say something naughty. Say should ain't good. If you're with your spouse and they start saying should, be like, Pastor T said should ain't good. Should ain't good. Nice and slow. Should ain't good. These expectations jump in. Should ain't good because expectations steal your joy. Did you know our lives are supposed to be filled with joy? Did you know that? This is what Galatians 5.22 says. This is what the life of a Christian should be if you are a Christian. It says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these good things. Love is first. Somebody tell me, what's second on the list? Joy. Now, this does not mean you go around giggling like an idiot. Not saying that. But the point is we should have a joy deeply penetrating every part of our soul that no matter the circumstances, we can find joy in it. No matter the expectation, no, no, matter the, no matter what's happening in our lives. And I think expectations can steal our joy. I think they can steal them very quickly. You see, John said should twice. Are you the one to come or should, should ain't good, we expect someone else. You see, the chatterbox operates through negative thoughts. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have what it takes. You'll always be stuck there. But I might say the way the chatterbox works the most in our lives is through unmet and unrealistic expectations. When I say unmet expectations, I mean what John is saying. I shouldn't be in prison. I'm John the freaking Baptist. Right on? I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here with my career. My kids shouldn't treat me like that. My marriage shouldn't be on the rocks. That's an unmet expectation. Some of y'all have an unrealistic expectation, meaning this. You are treating your spouse as God, meaning you look to your spouse for something that only Jesus can provide. Some of your lives revolve around your children or revolve around your career. When our expectations are off, it causes so much pain and discomfort. This is what the chatterbox might say. If God really loved you, you should have gotten that opportunity. If God really loved you, if he really had your back, you'd get that promotion. You'd get that step up. If God was really there, that shouldn't have happened. If God really existed, if God really loved you, you shouldn't be sick. You shouldn't be facing a job loss. You shouldn't be this or that. That's how the chatterbox works. Did you know that the more shoulds you have in your life, the more frustrated you will be? The more shoulds you have in your life, the more frustrated you will be. But did you know the less shoulds that you have in your life, the more joy you will have? Being able to wake up, give your day to God, and honestly say, God, whatever comes at me today, we can get through it together. There's a joy in that. There's a peace in that. Letting go of our expectations. Let me ask you this. Who controls your future? You or God? Who here controls their future? I got some questions if you do. I want want to, I have... I got, a, I got a brief list. Nobody. God does. But for whatever reason, we still say should. We have this huge list of expectations. We don't control it. We don't have a say in it. God can do whatever he wants. But we still feel like we have the idea that we know what's coming next. And we have the ability to change it. Who, if we can be honest, let's say five years ago, 2013, who, if we could go back to this date in 2013, would say, I'm exactly where I thought I would be. Working the job I thought I'd be working with the friends at this church, in this school. Everything is exactly how I thought it would be exactly five years ago. Who? Nobody. That's just five years. Imagine 50. Imagine longer. Y'all, we have no idea what's coming next. I want you to try this. When you want to say should or want to express an expectation if i can be a little rude if you want to say should say shut up well he he should shut up well god should shut up you should shut up because should ain't good but ain't good expectations and shoulds are best buddies parents here's how it could look for you 
Let's say you get the four kids, right? And they were at the beach all day, so they're worn out. And you're going home, and you're like, it's going to be a good night. They're going to conk out. They're going to sleep all night. It's going to be a great night. So you stay up a little later, have a good time, and you go to sleep, and each of them get up twice. Well, it makes it 10 times worse because your expectation was, I should be able to rest. I should be able to sleep. It's like something was stolen from me, which was never there in the first place. Let's say you say, hey, I should get that raise. And let's say you don't. Well, you're mad at God. You're bitter at your wife. You're, you're frustrated at the person who gets that job all because of a should, all because of an expectation. Maybe you, you would say, LeBron should have stayed in Cleveland. It'll mess you up. If you just started working out or getting fit or kind of on a fitness journey, that's great. But I'm going to tell you something. For the first month or two, do not get on a scale. Because you'll get on the scale, you'll be like, I bet I, I should have lost about five pounds by now. And you'll get on it and you're like, I gained a pound? What? What you don't realize, when you start working out, sometimes you gain weight. You lose fat, you're building muscle, which weighs a lot more, but it can jack you up. You can say, I put in all this work, all this blood, sweat, and tears. For what? For absolutely nothing. Here's another should that can steal a lot of your joy is the church should just stop. That's a dangerous path. Let me tell you something about ministry. I love you, but if each of you made a list of your shoulds and we tried to compile them, they wouldn't all line up. They wouldn't all line up. If we got five, six, seven hundred people together writing their expectations out, we cannot all be happy all the time. That's why we have to figure out what is our mission? What is our goal? What is our strategy? It's to reach, equip, and impact others exactly where they are as we rise to new life in Christ. There's 350,000 people here in this city who are not actively connected to a church. And that's just here. We have people who come from Norfolk or the peninsula. I'm just talking here in Virginia Beach. The potential is unreal. But if we start bickering and arguing about, well, I, we should play this song. We shouldn't play that song. That person shouldn't be in leadership. That, th- this should happen. That shouldn't happen. This is what camp should be like. This is what groups should be like. We should get a building. Okay, that is a good idea. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> But if we get focused off the mission and we start focusing on the here and now, this, that should, that should. You know what it's like when we do that? It's like being on a road trip with the four kids, right? And everyone wants to go to a different place to eat lunch. Everyone's tired. Everyone's cranky. Everyone's fussy. And it's like, I want to go to Chick-fil-A. We just had Chick-fil-A. I want to go to Chipotle. It takes too long. I want Burger King. Just kidding. Nobody likes Burger King. But you argue and bicker, and as a result, you don't go where you're, you don't eat anywhere. You don't eat anywhere. Should steals joy. I love you, but sometimes you need to sacrifice your should for the sake of someone else. That's why we're here, not to make you feel more comfortable, because should steals your joy. Watch this. God can be working right here in your midst, but you're missing it because of a should. You could come to service one day and someone give their life to Jesus or someone get baptized or someone or a marriage get healed or someone come back to church for the first time ever. And you walk out bitter because you're like, they shouldn't have played that song. I'm sick of that song. I hate his paisley shirt. He should burn them. They should have got different donuts. I don't, I'm sick of these donuts. Your should can steal your joy. You need to see this. John the Baptist missed what Jesus was doing because of a should. Some of you are missing what Jesus is doing because of a should, meaning this. God is working at this church. He's working in your life. He's working in your city. He's working in this world. But so many of you have no joy. You're bitter. You're locked in a prison all because of your shoulds, all because of your expectations, all because of something you don't control. Well, I expected this. I expected that. It steals your joy. Look where John started. 
Look where John the Baptist started. This is at the start of his ministry. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He started there. And then because of an unmet expectation, because of frustrating circumstances, because he was in a place where he didn't expect to be, he went from, look, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he went from that to saying, are you the right one or should we ask, should we wait for someone else? That's what expectations do. Look at Luke 3.16 with me. It says, this is John speaking. He says, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. If I can modernize it, the laces of whose Jordans I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is what the chatterbox will say to you. This is what it'll say. It'll say, God wouldn't let you go through this if he really loved you. That's a lie. It might say this wouldn't be happening if you had a little more faith. If you tried a little harder, if you gave a little more, if you prayed a little harder, none of this would have been happening. That's not true. That's the chatterbox. The chatterbox might say if it were possible for things to change, they would have changed by now. That may be the hardest. If you're going through a season of depression or anxiety or fear or financial struggle, or you don't know where you stand on anything, you were just lost, the chatterbox will speak into your ear real gently and it'll say, hey, this is how it's been. This is how it's going to be. Nothing is ever going to change. But Jesus offers us a solution. He offers us another way. This is what he has to say to John the Baptist. This is a cure for the chatterbox of expectation. 21, follow with me. It says, it's, a, it's reminding us, don't forget. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, saying, go back to John the Baptist. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Christianity is not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. Don't miss the difference. Don't miss that. We make it so much about my circumstances, where I'm at. Are things perfect? Am I comfortable? Is this where I expected to be in life? But don't miss that. Christianity has nothing to do with your track record. You're right or wrong. And it has everything to do with the track record of Jesus Christ. You see, he lived the perfect life. He died the perfect death. He climbed up on the cross completely sinless. And he died for me and for you. He died in our place. He took the punishment of sin and judgment from God and death upon himself so that you and I could have access to God. But we are constantly looking within. Did I do this? Did I do this? Jesus is saying, quit looking within. Quit looking at your circumstances. Quit looking at the expectations that aren't lining up how you thought they would be. You and your infinite wisdom, how you thought they would be. And look to what I'm doing in the world. Look to how I'm moving in the world. And look to how I've moved in the past. Look to the cross. If you ever have that question, how is God moving? You just need to look to the cross. That's where John went wrong. He was focused on his unmet expectations and not what God had done in the world for him. I want to ask you, are you basing your life? Are you basing your hope? Are you basing your joy based on what you have done or on what Jesus has done? 
It makes a world of difference. Do you rest in the assurance that God loves you? Do you rest in the assurance that Jesus died for you? Do you rest in the assurance that God has a plan for your life? No matter what prison you're locked in, no matter if it seems like there's no hope, no matter if you don't have that freedom you want, no matter if you're thinking, how on earth did our marriage get here? How did our finances get so bad? How did I get so addicted to that thing? No matter how locked up you are, do you look to the cross for that hope, for that peace? And if you rest in that, nothing can steal your joy. If you rest in that, nothing can discourage you or dissuade you. If you rest in that, if you rest in the cross, nothing can lock you up. Nothing. Do you feel the power of that? Do you feel the peace in that? Church, when the chatterbox starts talking, when it starts running its mouth saying, if God loved you, you wouldn't be here. Your marriage is always going to be like this. Your health is always going to be like this. When it starts talking, I want you to stop and don't make John's mistake. Quit looking at your expectations. Quit looking at what you've done. Quit looking where you are and look to what Jesus is doing and look to what Jesus has done. Look to what he has done on the cross for you. If we stay focused on that, we, church, can get through anything. No matter what life is throwing at you, no matter what life is throwing at your marriage or your finances or your faith, no matter what is coming at you, if you feel completely overwhelmed, if you feel locked in a prison, know that Jesus is working. He has overcome, and he will overcome. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for working in our lives. Father, forgive us for trying to call the shots. Forgive us for saying, well, this should happen, and I expect this. I demand that. Father, forgive us for the pride in our hearts, which leads us to believe that we are the Lord of our lives. Father, help us repent, just like John the Baptist said. Help us turn to you. Help us stop running our own lives and asking you to run it, God. May you be our Lord. May you be our Savior. And Father God, when the chatterbox starts talking, when it starts hitting us with, the, with that static babble of lies and fears and guilt, God, when it starts speaking, God, may your voice speak all the louder. May we look not at our unmet or unrealistic expectations, but Father God, may we look to your work. In the world, may we look to the world, may we look to your work in our church. And importantly, most importantly of all, may we look to your work on the cross. Father, we love you, and we ask all these things in your son's sweet, pleasing name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We believe Jesus is on the move in Virginia Beach, and if you would like to learn more about who we are and our mission, follow us at Ascent Church 757. If you would like to give to further our mission to impact this city and beyond, you can do so at our website, ascentchurch.net. We hope to see you soon.